All right, this is a Greatest Hits episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. We're diving back in the archives today. This episode is all about leadership. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, what's up, folks? Today, we're going to be going through three of the best leadership lessons to ever come up on Manufacturing Happy Hour. That's right. This is a greatest hits. We're diving back into past conversations with industry leaders to take away some of the best nuggets that have ever popped up on the show. And today's conversation is all about what it takes to be a leader in the manufacturing sector. We're going back into three previous interviews, starting back to episode one, when we spoke with Dan Voigt, the CEO of Blendtec, an awesome equipment manufacturing and food sciences company based out of Santa Rosa, California, serving the food and beverage industry. In that episode, we talked about what it takes to create a strong company culture. Great way to start the show. And honestly, there's no one better suited to have that conversation than Dan Voigt. We're going to dive right in. In this 10-minute segment from that interview, we'll get to the lesson at the end of this part of the conversation. Dan's going to share a little bit about his personal journey to becoming a leader and his philosophy around leadership, as well as what he feels it takes for leaders to shape the culture that they want to see in their companies. Let's dive right in. In, in truth, I had no desire mm-hmm. to uh, ever seek any kind of a significant leadership role. Okay. Why was that? Why did I not have a desire? Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, there was no appeal and uh, there, there's no specific, I don't know, desire to be, I don't know. I don't, I don't particularly believe too much in hierarchy t- structures. Sure. I think that titles are maybe useful for identifying what a person is responsible for mm-hmm. within a company but it does not under any circumstances, you know, correlate with, uh, you know, the value that that person brings to society mm-hmm. or their job. And mm-hmm. uh, every job is important. And the idea that um, one person is, is better or above another, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, where I felt like I wanted to move into leadership was I saw within a team that I cared about, within a company that I cared about, um, a need for somebody to step in and, mm-hmm. um, you know, help transition. So the, the, the owner of the company, still the owner, mm-hmm. um, uh, was hoping to move out of active operations, um, as his, um, age, uh, uh, you know, was, uh, starting to, to, to suggest and, mm-hmm. um, somebody needed to step in and it was easy for me to look around and say, well, if not me, who, right. It uh, wasn't a specific goal. It was mm-hmm. a, a, an, an opportunistic uh, need that um, I stepped into. Does that sure. make sense? Yeah, I, and and I think if I, if I'm hearing you right, I think we talked a little bit about kind of that dichotomy between being a manager and being a leader mm-hmm. um, in that regard, because managers are what I usually associate with titles, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have the influence or the willingness to serve in a greater capacity. Let's take a step back into culture a little bit. What would you say really characterizes the culture here at Blendtec? 
Well, I think the culture is uh, exceedingly innovative, mm-hmm. um, particularly in an industry that is not very forward thinking from time sure. to time. The food industry can be very traditionalist mm-hmm. for good and bad. Mm-hmm. But our company really, you know, ignites a fire in people. Um, our, that's what our culture does to to really find new ways to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and as you walked up to my office, you know, you, you got the wall of patents on the left hand side. And, mm-hmm. and I think you remember seeing that. But that is an embodiment of just the way we behave and the way we operate. We're trying to find new ways to do things, trying mm-hmm. to trying to do things differently and better. That's who we are. So um, I think that's a, a huge component of the culture. Mm-hmm. And to go back to what we said before, if you're too rigid in the structure or too much hierarchy, mm-hmm. it's hard for those innovative ideas to be talked about because they don't necessarily filter up and down chains of communication. It, you may, you know, you may need to have ideation sessions with a much broader group of people to come up with ideas to improve something. And mm-hmm. and and if you have I don't know, politicking or, or too much hierarchy structure, it doesn't really bode well for um, the creation of new innovation in our opinion. I'm, I'm curious, was because um, I, I think innovation and the ability for ideas to spread and be shared is a huge indicator of a strong culture. Would you say it was always that way or was there an evolution at Blendtec where that has be, that where your culture has evolved over the years? Uh, no, I think that I, I think that's the culture that that Daryl, the founder, created. I mean, Daryl, the mm-hmm. founder of the company, was the inventor of the mechanical grape harvester. Okay, you know, most of those patents on the wall, you know, they're him. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no mistaking that they were an innovation powerhouse for for you know decades before yeah. I joined the company. Mm-hmm. I just got the opportunity to work in a team that helped me understand how that worked. Sure. If I've added any any layer to it, it's mm-hmm. finding a way to have that same dynamic with a bigger team mm-hmm. and do it with the types of technologies that are emerging today mm-hmm. as opposed to you know 30 years ago it was about hey what new machine can we build mm-hmm. what new manufacturing method can we make to to make this stainless steel machine do something you know faster better or whatever mm-hmm. now it's about how do we how do we make it more usable? How do we make it uh, last longer? How do we bring technology into it in terms of automation and uh, that type of thing? Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I, I definitely follow it. It sounds like that culture has always had that really strong baseline. And there are little things you can add to that along the way. I'm, I'm curious. I'd like to get your take on this because I think there are some companies that don't necessarily have that strong culture from the get-go. Sure. How do you? How does one impact culture big or small in uh over time or in a short period of time well i all right so impact culture i'm gonna i want to write that down and i'm gonna address it but as you were saying that what came to my mind is the transition of leadership from daryl to me was mm-hmm. probably the typical type of uh, precarious moment in a mm-hmm. in a company's history where those cultures can be lost right and if you're if you're adding on top of that a growth curve because mm-hmm. you're bringing in you know new employees and new customers the potential to have an erosion in culture or a loss in culture mm-hmm. is really, really high because there's a whole lot of new people and mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of new challenges. Right. So really the the challenge was how do you build on, improve upon an already good culture while handling a transition across generations? Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is a very unique challenge um, because you have people that come from broadly different backgrounds 
um, that, you know, they're, they, they were raised in different environments, you know, uh, somebody in their, in their seventies sees the world a little bit differently than somebody in their twenties. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got to bring those people together and you have to, to, to leverage the talents of all the people, whether it's mm-hmm. the experience or the energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So those were potentially precarious moments. And I think if I have one thing I'm most proud of, it's, I feel as though we navigated that moment. Well, yeah. How does one impact culture? There's a, a, a video uh, that I, I found and uh, was shown in one of the uh, uh, leadership development um, uh, programs that I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Cameron Harold. He was the, um, I don't know what his exact title was. I think he was the chief operating officer of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, I, I, I might have his title wrong. He might have been the CEO. He does leadership talks and um, and I've read his book, Double Double. It's a great book, but um he has done this talk over the years, which you can find on YouTube, where he um, presents what it's like to change a company culture or set the company culture. And, it, and he uses a picture of, of a lone guy dancing at a concert. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen this video? I don't know if I have, but I can, I'm, I'm visualizing what you're saying. So yeah. Far. So just picture, picture, you know, one guy at, you know, a giant summer music festival yeah. Over there on the grass, you know, going crazy, probably with some jam band going on in the background, mm-hmm. maybe a 10 minute song where the guitar is going a little bit too long. He's over there just like dancing and dancing and dancing. And, you know, at first he looks crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But in that video, Cameron takes little sections of the of the video across time. And, and you know, at first it's it's just the one guy and then yeah. a couple more join him. Okay. Right. I think I've seen. And then you know, like then a couple this. guys leave, but then a couple yeah. more come back, and yeah. And then he points out that after you know ten minutes, you know, like five thousand people get up and start dancing. Cool. So what is that? It's modeling the behavior at the leadership level that represents the culture that you want to build. Yeah. And doing it every day. Mm-hmm. And at first, it feels awkward. You're all alone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you just keep doing it. Because you know that it's right mm-hmm. and uh, not everybody likes it. Right. And that's kind of the point mm-hmm. because the objective is to identify who be- people who believe what you believe, mm-hmm. who want to build what you want to build. Right. And um, want to be part of that. Right. And so, you know, it's divisive mm-hmm. in a good way, mm-hmm. but it has to be approached with um, integrity mm-hmm. um, and honesty. Mm-hmm. So, the leaders have to make a conscious effort to become what they want the culture to be. Mm-hmm. And it starts there. Yeah. And that's probably where a lot of people struggle. Well, like what you said about how, or at least some of the way I interpret it is with, with dancing, not everyone's going to want to dance with you, but right. the people that do want to dance with you, those are the people that you want on your team. That's they're right. the ones that buy into that vision. That you that's have. right. And, it, and it's okay that not everybody wants to, because there's, there's a place for everybody in the world. Right. But right. So you gotta, you gotta put it out there what you want the company to be culturally mm-hmm. and strategically and then keep modeling that behavior mm-hmm. and keep sending that message. So lesson number one, you need to consistently model the culture and behaviors you want to see in your company. Awesome interview with Dan Voigt there. You can go back to episode one and hear the full length version. We're going to continue talking to someone named Dan, but this time it's Dan Stutterheim, CEO of Casa Companies from episode 18. In that interview, we discussed how having a strong company culture can lead through crisis. Now, for context, we recorded that episode 
about a month or two into the pandemic when things were very uncertain. And I know there were a lot of COVID-19 related interviews taking place at the time, but we wanted to make this as timeless as possible. So I hope we accomplish that as you listen through this. We're going to take this part of the interview in two parts. So first, let's give you a taste of the culture over at CASA by learning a little bit about the culture dialogues that Dan hosts with the team over there on a regular basis. So, you know, pre-COVID, we we have these culture dialogues where we we try to get through the all the employees and we sit down maybe four to six employees at a time. I sit down with them and I say, look, here's our mission statement. Here's our values. Here are our goals. We want to be a great place to work. How we treat people is of utmost importance. So I really set it up as these lofty ideals. And then I asked them, so we know that we have structures in place. We know that we might have policies, maybe unwritten policies, but where do we miss it? Let's identify the ways where how we behave is contrary to who we say we are. Mm -hmm. And so we do those throughout the year, get through all the employees. When COVID hit, we, we ramped it up quite a bit to where we wanted to meet with people every single day. Mm. And we changed the question from where do we miss our mission statement to what questions do you have? Because people were scared. There was a ton of fear, anxiety, uncertainty. So we, we just said, what, what are your questions? And we'll be very transparent. We'll answer those as best we can. If we don't know the answer, we'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is this is a big topic for the manufacturing leaders that listen to this show, because a lot of times these require courageous conversations. It requires addressing uncomfortable questions. Um, and if you, if you can, can you share a tough question that you received and how you responded? Because I'm sure this is something that's on the mind of a lot of the leaders that listen to this show in terms of how do I have these type of conversations, especially now? Are our jobs secure? Am yeah. I going to have a job? Will there be layoffs? Is the company okay? I mean, those, those are the those are the recurring tough questions, the difficult conversations. And our answer has always been, you know, we're a very healthy company. We have a strong balance sheet. We've been very conservative over the years, and that's really paid off. And we're going to be okay for quite a while. We've got a long runway ahead of us as far as our ability to withstand a crisis. But the reality is we didn't know what this was going to do. Mm -hmm. And we, st we still don't have, like I said, we might have our arms around it fully. So we just continue to say that we say, look, this is where we stand today. This is what it looks like in the future. We've got to get more sales. You know, business has slowed down quite a bit. We've got to get uh, land more projects, but we're okay. Now we need everybody right now. But if we don't land a lot of work, that could change. So it's probably clear just from that portion of the conversation that it's a very transparent organization over there at CASA Companies. Now, in addition to culture dialogues, Dan and his team also create quarterly themes for the company. The theme we talk about in this episode was CASA Health. So let's learn a bit about that, and then we'll get into the lesson after this part of the conversation. So... CASA Health, you're asking about the themes. So 
when we were looking at this quarter before COVID hit, we were saying, okay, what should our Q2 theme be? And we we had had a very good first quarter. And we were kind of going to go with a military theme, like Band of Brothers was coming to mind. Let's get together. We're going we're gonna to keep forging on and have a great year. COVID hits and we called timeout. We said, look, this isn't appropriate anymore. It's not relevant. We really need to pay attention to health. And we were worried about people's physical safety, like you said. But as the fear and anxiety that you would watch on TV and hear in, in different circles come out, we realize, you know, there's an emotional, there's a mental component to this, uh, even a spiritual component, which people get a little bit weird when you're like, hey, I don't want to talk about God with you or my church relationship. <laughs> but the way we define the spiritual peace um, at work is meaning and purpose. So we said, let's look at individual health and let's look at corporate health and let's set some goals around that. Individually, we wanted our people to be mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy. The physical piece is easy because at the time it was all about safety and hygiene in -hmm. addition to everything with exercise and eating right and rest and things like that. But we, we set out not to tell people what to do as much as educate, inform, make Mm. them aware that mental, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, might be new to many people. And so every single day, what we do is we just put out an email to our team. that is one small thing. It may be a question like, where do you find meaning and purpose at work? What is your emotional state right now? What what are your stress triggers? Something like that. Uh, So some people think they're kind of hokey. Some people think they're great. But I think each person is finding in the one small thing episodes, which we call MEPS, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. Ah. Each person is finding something of value that they can latch on to. And, and by the way, that fulfills our mission. We're just trying to improve lives. Right. Both in, inside the company and outside. Corporate health was all about financial health. You know, the cash, uh-huh. sales and backlog, execution. Those, those are the four things that we're really focused on right now. So cash sales backlog and executioners those are those are the four right yep i will i will make sure those are included in the show notes why are those the four i know it might be a very basic question for a ceo but maybe for someone that's a newer leader at a company why are those the four that you focus on well it's not the only four it's just for this theme those are the most important ones some people might say it's people product processes Mm -hmm. Uh, and other things like that. But we knew cash was going to be tough because we, we started seeing the writing on the wall in the crisis that people were going to conserve it. So we said, we've got to watch our cash position. Sales, just from a standpoint of it keeps the engine going. It's it's the lifeblood of, manufacture, of manufacturing. And then execution, we still have customers that need their work done. So ex- execution is almost always a part of of what we're monitoring on a monthly basis. So those things are all really, really important to us. We monitor those, but it was mainly financial health. We wanted to keep the company healthy, that healthy balance sheet I talked about earlier. So we really honed in on those four areas. Okay, so lesson two, balance business health and employee well-being. 
I'm glad Dan got into the details of the financial metrics there. I think sometimes we often stick too much on the overarching macro topics, but excellent takeaways from Dan Stutterheim. You can catch more from him and Casa in episode 18 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Now, the last lesson comes from episode 20 featuring Galena and Toba, which we recorded in May of 2020, not too far off from that episode. Galena is the co-founder of Clarity, an OT cybersecurity solutions company that has quickly risen to prominence. And to be honest, most of that conversation that we had with Galena in that episode uh, was about cybersecurity. She's a cybersecurity expert, and we spent most of the interview talking about that and OT cybersecurity best practices. But she's also very passionate and active in advancing diversity, equality, and inclusion in this industry. So without giving too much of this away, let's hear what Galena has to say about this topic as we get into our final leadership lesson here in the next nine or so minutes of this podcast. You know, it's no secret that security and tech in general have long time been male-dominated areas. Yeah. And while while we're seeing improvements, I'd love to hear some of your perspectives around, you know, what are the challenges that we're still seeing out there and, and how have you overcome those uh, to become the successful leader that you are in this space? Yeah, I mean, so gosh, so much, so much that I can say about this topic, but uh let me start by acknowledging, first of all, that we live in, in crazy times and mm-hmm. um, and crazy in the sense that I think a lot of those inequalities and injustices are coming to the surface and they need to be addressed, right? Mm-hmm. So each of us individually needs to think about what, what can we do to address those, but um, just to go by the numbers, and I don't have the perfect statistics on my in my head, but... Um, Mm-hmm. We can grab those after the podcast. If you just look at the, I think it comes down to the fact that the world, the world's population is not represented in the power structures, period. And mm-hmm. so that applies to women. So very much, you know, my experiences yeah. and what I've fought for throughout my professional career, that mm-hmm. applies to race, that applies to everything you could imagine, whichever way you want to slice and dice humans. That applies to um, to uh, uh, basically all of those criteria. And so the world is not represented. We don't have the power. A lot of people feel that like they don't have the power. And if you look at the numbers, it's very, very clear. Look at the number of female CEOs at the Fortune 500 companies. I think last time I looked at the statistics, it was maybe 20 and I might be off by a few, but I think it's around that or maybe even less. And the one thing that stuck with me is that there were more leaders called John or Dave, again, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, that there were women in total, right? No so, way. Yeah, wow. That yeah, is, that I, is, that, that's such a telling and, statistic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we should go and look up that statistics, but, and I'm sorry that I'm forgetting the exact number, but it was just so, so telling. Um, So you look at boards, and obviously that governs business across the board. Um, You look at C-level executive management, and again, that tells you a story. Uh, It was very telling. In the last few days, as companies kind of started putting um, statements a lot around uh, diversity and Black Lives Matter and all that, Mm -hmm. many people just questioned them. Okay, in addition to that statement, just put next to your statement a picture of your board and a picture of your C-level. Ooh. And then tell me, what are you 
doing for diversity, right? Of course, we all condemn racism and all that, but what are you concretely, right? So like the real world is a lot more subtle. And and I understand, look, I judge from my experiences of, of being a woman in, in technology, especially in cybersecurity, especially in something as hardcore as operational technology, cybersecurity. I understand that a lot of times people don't mean to offend. I've had probably mm-hmm. hundreds, if not thousands of interactions where well-intentioned, you know, white males in like 99% of the cases would say something just because they're not, they're uninformed or because they just haven't thought about it because they have this bias that is completely unconscious. But mm-hmm. that, that that's not a justification, right? So the fact right. that you are not aware or not educated is not is not a justification. And so in my very little ways in which I could impact that, I have started, you know, 100% of the time just bringing very gently and respectfully those biases Mm -hmm. uh, to the surface and just calling them out in a respectful way, because that's exactly what Mm. what a bias, you know, looks like. Everything from, you know, if someone doesn't know me or hasn't, doesn't know that as we're meeting, doesn't know of my background, if I'm walking into the room with my male colleague, 100% of the cases, they would assume that I work for my male colleague, even though it's, you know, 100% (laughs) the opposite. Um, So just very, very, very small uh, things like that, which, you know, it's they're small if taken individually, but when they're put together, it's death by a thousand cuts. And then obviously I can't even imagine what that means if we extrapolate to, uh, you know, um, communities that are affected by by racism and, and all of those different things. But I just think in general, this is where a lot of the frustration in the world comes from, that, that mm-hmm. we're not represented in the power structures and uh I wrote an article or that saying that we basically will never have true equality until we until we have power. And so here's mm-hmm. the tricky part. Power is not something that you can just go and take. I mean, short of a revolution and a mm-hmm. war, which hopefully we're not going to get to that. Um, but power also, you need to be invited to power. So this is where a lot of the people that are already in power, um, especially across the business community, they have a responsibility to invite, you know, um, underrepresented minorities and just people who who um, are not represented in the power structures, they have they they have that obligation because of their leadership position to invite those people so that their voices are heard. And I hear a lot of times the um, the conversation is, well, we we want to give the job to the best person. And of course, mm-hmm. this should be the case. This doesn't argue for giving the job to someone who's not qualified, but there are just so many candidates that are qualified, but they're just not looked at because they don't fit some kind of a subconscious bias or subconscious profile that we have in our mind. So, you know, from from like at my own personal level, what I can do is I can identify that bias and call it out. But, oh, my God, we're just at the baby steps at the very beginning mm-hmm. of addressing of addressing this um, inequality and injustice. And it's going to take a really long time. Incredible points all around, and you're right. We could do a to- a podcast just on this topic yeah. alone, no doubt. You know, you addressed a lot of very important things in there. Unconscious bias, the more the macro issues where there are underrepresented groups that don't have that power, and inviting those people to power is very important around that. You know, if I look at this situation, one thing that I'm hoping is going to improve moving forward is people are starting to recognize 
that mm-hmm. there are just some things that, and I'll pick on myself as a male ally. I, I just, I will have never experienced what it's like to be a person of color in the world or a female in the industry or whatever that is. But I, I, I hope more people are out there real realizing that and being like, I'm listening and I want to know what can I do to learn to be a part of that solution. And I, I'd love it if you could extrapolate on that inviting more people to the table type example a little bit more like what, because we have a lot of, we have a lot of women that listen to this show. We also have a lot of male allies that listen to this show. I'm curious, what are the steps we can be taking as individuals or as companies to level the playing field for lack of a better word? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I again, I think it really comes down to people in power inviting inviting other people to the table and just really having that conversation. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, for anyone who's been privileged um, uh, if, from whatever perspective, I just think if you haven't, if there's something that is so um, important that other people are deciding to go and protest, for example, and if you don't, if you don't think that that exists in the world, then you should ask yourself, well, what is kind of like the little bubble that I'm, that I'm living in and what are some of the resources that I could read on or how do I get myself educated? Right. So that's more of like, if you're in a position of power, think about how to make that power representative of the world and who are the people that you have to invite to the table. When it comes to all of us at a very individual level, um, again, my own example is I just I've started calling out unconscious bias, even if mm-hmm. that is very uncomfortable. It's just really important to call it out and label it so that we can start identifying those blind spots um, that we have. That's the only way to move the conversation forward in a respectful way. All right. So a little different from the culture centric leadership lessons that we covered earlier in this episode. But takeaway number three is as leaders, we have an obligation to invite others to power. Galena was awesome throughout that conversation, loved the personal anecdotes that she shared there in that part of it. If you want to go back and revisit her full interview to hear more from her on that topic as well as cybersecurity, head on back to episode 20 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. So before we wrap, let's do a quick recap. What were some of the three biggest leadership takeaways for manufacturing leaders during the course of Manufacturing Happy Hour so far. So number one, from Dan Voigt at Blendtec, you need to consistently model the culture and behaviors you want to see in your company. Number two, from Dan Stutterheim at Casa Companies, got to balance business health and employee well-being. And in addition to that, he just shares a lot of great uh, practical tactics for keeping a strong culture that will allow you to lead through times of uncertainty, whether that's a pandemic, other financial situations that might occur, just rock solid stuff from him. Then the final lesson, number three from Galena and Tova at Clarity, as leaders, we have an obligation to invite others to power. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to go back to listen to any of these three interviews, you can do that at episode one, episode 18, and episode 20. And if you enjoyed this conversation, consider leaving us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where it doesn't take much to leave a review. But as we're doing new things like this, like these Greatest Hits episodes, would love to hear what you think. So got another one of these in the tank for you. We're going to be talking more about cybersecurity coming up. 
But we have a stacked lineup of our regular interviews coming right up after this. We've already got a lot of those in the tank. I think you're going to enjoy some of the folks that we have jumping on the show here in the near future. So with that, let's wrap it up for this week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.